verses 15 through 27 of Daniel chapter 8. So let's just pray and we'll get right into the body of the uh, text. Father, thank you for all those wonderful candidates who have come this morning to be with us, to share with us. We thank you that they all uh, have a strong faith in you. They're all born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just ask that you be with them, guide them, direct them, give them wisdom, provide resources. Lord, we know that in spite of all the opposition, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you can get their message out to the masses. We pray that you would do that. And Lord, we know that the powers of darkness are hard at work to bring back all the same, the, the usual suspects who are responsible for all the terrible things. That, we have a wonderful state, Father, but it could be so much better. This could be a haven for the unborn instead of a haven for third trimester abortion. Lord, this could be a haven for individual rights and freedom instead of government oppression and waste. So we lift them up to you. We ask you to be with them. Bless them. Please, Father, bring about victory for these wonderful candidates and many others that are like them. Lord, we thank you that we do have some good, godly, honest, Bible-believing, God-fearing candidates available to us. Help us to make the most of it. Now we ask you to bless the teaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 15. Remember, this is Daniel's vision, which took place during the time of King Belshazzar. We had previously seen the death of Belshazzar and the conquering of Babylon by the Medo-Persian army. But this is a, a, a backward look now in these final chapters of Daniel as he begins to share with us his visions and prophecies about the future, not, the short-term future and the long-term future. And so in the first half of this chapter, we saw Daniel describing his vision, and now we have an interpretation of the vision from an angelic being. So verse 15, Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning, that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. Again, we've touched on this last week, but it's kind of interesting, kind of amazing, that even though Daniel could interpret the dreams and visions of the kings of Babylon, when it came to his own visions, he needed help from an angelic being. So very interesting how that works. Suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. So we see throughout the scriptures that angels are often described as having the appearance of a man. I know that might be offensive to the non-binary group, but um, we have to take God's word at face value. These angels have the appearance of... And Mark 16, 5, when uh, the women went to Jesus' tomb to finish his preparations for burial that had been done hastily by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, so the ladies wanted to give Jesus a proper burial, bringing more spices and herbs and things to wrap his body in. And then they found, entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. This young man, of course, was an angel who had come to alert people of Jesus' resurrection. Again, this angel is described as a young man. In the Luke 24, 4, a similar uh, scenario, it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. The, the stone rolled away, which was almost an impossibility, probably too 
thousand pounds plus stone rolled across the entrance to the tomb, but it was rolled away. The tomb was empty. They were greatly perplexed about this, that beheld two men stood by them in shining garments. So again, a couple of telling things here. And Mark, even though there was a young man clothed in a white robe, they were alarmed. Why were they, they were alarmed about the whole scenario? But here in Luke, we see that their garments were shining, a little bit unusual. So we see this throughout the scriptures, and it ties in with Daniel here saying that this person that came to give him the interpretation had the appearance of a man. And, verse 16, I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So a man's voice, probably the voice of God. Remember when Jesus was baptized, God spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Again, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus meets with Moses and Elijah, they hear God speaking from heaven. So it has been known to happen. It's not an everyday occurrence, but it does happen on special occasions. And so God is speaking from heaven, and uh, he's telling specifically the angel Gabriel, which the only specific names of angels we have in the Bible are Gabriel and Michael. And you remember, Gabriel has been a messenger on a number of occasions. His name actually means hero of God. It's pretty cool. Daniel 9.21, he brings another message. Zechariah, uh, Luke 1.19, the announcement of the birth of uh, John the Baptist and also of Jesus, Mary, Luke 1.26. And then, of course, we have Michael mentioned in Daniel 10.13, Jude 9, Jude verse 9. So we know in this case exactly who this messenger is. It's Gabriel. In verse 17, he came near where I stood, and when I, he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. So there are some churches that practice something called slaying in the spirit, but, and they'll use this verse to support that, but that isn't what happened here. Daniel fell on his face because the appearance, appearance of this angel just blew him away, and he, he fell down on his face. The soldiers in the garden, when they arrested Jesus, did the same thing. I've always been amazed by this particular thing that's only recorded in the Gospel of John. They said they're looking for Jesus, and he says, uh, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. Just the power of the presence of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in him. All he had to do was say, I'm he, and they fell to the ground. And so we see something about these angels who are described as men, looking like men in the Bible. They are man-like, but they're also quite intimidating, even to believers. He said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Of course, that term son of man was described to Jesus multiple times in the Gospels. We saw how when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the firing furnace and King Nebuchadnezzar looks down and he says, wait a minute, didn't we throw three guys in? I see four and one looks like the Son of Man or the Son of God. So now some scholars, we talked about Antiochus Epiphanes last week, the sacrifice of the pig on the altar and what many consider to be the first instance of the abomination of desolation. And so some scholars apply this passage only to Antiochus. But I mentioned at the beginning of the message, there's short-term applications, and then there are long-term applications. 
Some scholars apply this passage only to Antiochus and to the events that occurred before the birth of Christ. But Gabriel makes it clear, notice this folks, this is important, that it applies to the end times as well. He said, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. It doesn't mean the time of the middle. It doesn't mean 2,000 years ago with Antiochus Epiphanes. The ultimate application of this vision pertains to the time that we're living in because we're living in the end times. You know that? Some of the things that our guest spoke about this morning are strong indicators of that fact. Did you ever think that you would live in a time where there would be any question about who's a man and who's a woman? And that there are actually 120 genders or something like that? Some of the most crazy of that group will tell you, oh yeah, there's actually, you know, there can be just an innumerable number of genders. Life used to be so simple, didn't it? Boy, girl, man, woman, true, false. Right, wrong. Okay, now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and stood me upright. And so, again, this, this encounter was just so overwhelming to Daniel. Not only did he fall on his face, he kind of zonked out there. But the angel gets him up, and he said, Look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation. Now, one of my other translations that I like, NIV, says, instead of time of indignation, time of wrath. So I'm making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation or the time of wrath. And that is a very specific point in time in human history. We've talked about this so many times. People get confused. They misunderstand the difference between persecution and wrath. God's people have always been persecuted all the way back to Cain and Abel. Cain slew Abel. That was persecution. Abel was martyred because he had a true faith in God. He had a pure heart before God, and Cain did not. God's people have always been persecuted. But God's wrath is always reserved for the ungodly. Noah's flood. That was the wrath of God. When Lot and his family left Sodom, at least most of them, the wife didn't make it, right? God said, I will not destroy Sodom until Lot and his family are out of the city. Jesus used these examples in the New Testament regarding the end times, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot. God does not pour out his wrath on his own people. The final outpouring of God's wrath is an event you're all aware of, the tribulation coming soon to a planet near you. So this, he says, I'm making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation or the time of wrath for the appointed time the end shall be or the time of the end. Folks, these terms, a time of wrath, time of the end, clearly point to the last days. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, We're to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from what? Woo, that was a feeble. The wrath to come. The wrath to come. Future. Future. This is in the first century written by the Apostle Paul. 
after, about 250 years or close to it, after Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed the pig on the altar in the temple, after Titus, the Roman general, came into Jerusalem with his army and destroyed the city and the temple, after those things, or right around that time, actually, Thessalonians was probably about 10 years before that. But this is a future event. The wrath to come. So verse 20, the ram which you saw, so we get now to begin to get the explanation of these animals that we saw last week in the first half of the chapter. The ram which you saw having the two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia, the Medo-Persian Empire, the second empire on Nebuchadnezzar's giant statue. Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold, the first and greatest empire, the second one, the Medo-Persian Empire, and then in verse 21, the male goat is the kingdom of Greece, the third great world empire. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king, as we told you last week, Alexander the Great. And then we saw how his kingdom was broken up into four parts. The four horns, verse 22, that replaced the one that was broken, Alexander died at 32 years of age. Much speculation as to how and why. We talked last week about the possibility of a bacterial infection, actually, that resulted in um, Ghislaine-Barr syndrome. That's one of the latest theories about the death of Alexander. Some believe he was assassinated. He died at 32. And then the four horns that replaced the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. So a divided, diluted version of the Greek empire under his four generals, Cassander, Lysimachus, Seleucus, and Ptolemy. Covered that last week. Now verse 23, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features who understands sinister schemes. Now, this is Antiochus, as we talked about last week. He did not factor into the four great empires. He was kind of in between. But he was significant with Daniel's prophecy because of his interactions with the Jews. We talked about that last week and his defiling the temple and so forth. So his rise was significant for the Jewish people. And Daniel, of course, was Jewish. And these next verses give some added details concerning Antiochus and his persecution of the Jews. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And here's where we really get into a, a dual prophecy here where it also relates to the coming Antichrist. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy temple. What we see here, folks... Not by his own power. Antiochus, much like the coming Antichrist, was satanically inspired and empowered, like some other tyrannical leaders that we may be thinking of. Adolf Hitler is always a prime target. Revelation 13, 12. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon, Satan, gave him power, his throne, and great authority. Daniel 8.25, through his cunning he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. He shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes. 
but he shall be broken without human means. Let me read it again from the NIV. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior, a feature of all narcissistic, totalitarian, tyrannical rulers. He will consider himself superior. I know better how to run your life than you do. That's what these guys are standing against, by the way. That's what Michelle is standing against. They believe you know how to run your own life with God's help. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes, yet he will be destroyed, not, but not by human power. So even though there is a short-term reference here to the coming Antiochus, who evolves out of that four-part diluted Greek empire, ruling over Syria and Israel, there's also the futuristic aspect where this very succinctly describes the coming Antichrist. Notice what it says, when they feel secure, he will destroy many and take a stand against the prince of princes. 1 Thessalonians 5.3, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Again, as we look at this from our current political situation, for those who seek to be in power, to retain power, to wield power, peace and safety to them means you shut up and do what we tell you. And I told you a few weeks ago, here's, here's a take, for, especially for you guys, because my church has already heard it. Nothing will cry peace and safety to this atheistic, ungodly world than getting rid of all the Christians. You and I are looking forward to the rapture, but so are they, because they want us out of here. And then they're all going to say, the believers are gone. Peace and safety at last. But in the meantime... We can counter that with what we've talked about this morning. And he shall exalt himself in his heart. Last week we looked at the five I wills of Satan. I don't know if we covered all of them. Isaiah chapter 14, I will be like the most high God. I will ascend above the stars of heaven. Antiochus had that attitude. He took over the temple. He defiled it. But ultimately this will be the Antichrist. And this is a verse we seem to read every week here. 2 Thessalonians 2.4 Describing the Antichrist, Paul writes, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. 1 John 4, 3, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. So in other words, that he's a real historical figure. He came into this world the perfect sinless Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, died on the cross and rose from the dead. Anyone that does not confess these things is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. John was not saying 2,000 years ago that the Antichrist was already in the world. What he's saying is the spirit that spirit of the Antichrist, and ultimately that spirit is Satan himself. But that attitude, that ungodly, pagan, heathenistic attitude has been in the world forever. But it will manifest itself ultimately in the form of the one world leader that we refer to as the Antichrist, as the Bible refers to as the Antichrist. 
Again, Daniel is not only prophesying about the coming of Antiochus, as he's prophesying of the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and ultimately the Roman Empire, he's also giving us the long view, according to Gabriel, the end of time, time of the end, the time of wrath, describing for us the ultimate tyrannical, demonic, satanic world leader. And again, we've seen flashes of that with various rulers and leaders. But they're all just previews of the coming attraction. He will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Again, we reference Revelation 13, 7. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And as I've told you before, the saints here are the tribulation saints, the ones that become Christians during the tribulation. It's not talking about you and I. We're going to be caught up. Not everyone here today may agree with that, but I stand firm on that. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air before the wrath is poured out. But if you want to attack Jesus' family, God's family, then you're attacking him. He will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. But the good news, he shall be broken without human means. Antiochus, history tells us, died without human intervention. According to the apocryphal book of 2 Maccabees, if you have a Catholic Bible, you have the apocrypha in the middle. Protestant denominations do not recognize the apocrypha as being part of the biblical canon of Scripture. But it is a historically accurate record. According to the apocryphal book of 2 Maccabees, Antiochus died of a painful disease apparently stricken by God. Likewise, the Antichrist will be done in not by human hands, but by God himself, Revelation 19, 20 and through 21. The beast was captured within the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast. Perhaps the microchip? Every day we hear more and more about people getting microchips. I watched a video of a lady whose husband is a, is a technology guy, and she, he set her up with a chip. Now she can open her front door and turn her lights on and do all this stuff with the chip she has in her hand. Isn't that great? But listen, it's so tempting because whenever you lose your keys or your wallet or what have you, have you ever just for a split second thought, wow, if I just had a microchip? <laughs> you know? You fall down half dead in the middle of Smith's grocery store and somebody comes up with a scanner. Oh, this guy's got diabetes and heart disease and blah, blah, blah. You see the temptation there for people? Why it's important that we know these things and understand these things? Because that same microchip that can tell people your medical record or help you find your keys or open your door or turn on your lights, you can also be tracked everywhere you go. Of course, they can track you with your cell phone too. At least you can throw that away if you have to, right? Folks, we're, this is the first time in human history where all the prophecies of the Bible could possibly be fulfilled. Could have never happened before. I told you, the devil's been waiting for 6,000 years for the human race's technology to catch up with his plan. And guess what? We've caught up. We've caught up with his plan. Let me read this passage and we'll close. 
The beast was captured with him, the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, the leader of the one world religion coming to a planet near you very soon, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These, were, these two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, Jesus Christ. The sword represents his spoken word. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. And so, yes, he's coming soon to a planet near us. And he is going to wreak havoc for a brief period of time. But the good news is we win. God wins. Let's stand. Let's stand. <laughs> Father God, again, we're thankful for our visitors today. We do continue to pray your richest blessings upon them as they move forward with their campaigns. Lord, and more importantly, we thank you for your word because it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you, God. Thank you for your word. You feed our spirits, our daily bread, our manna from heaven, Jesus Christ himself, and then as he is manifested through your holy scriptures. We thank you. We praise you. And now a show of hands for prayer requests this morning. Anybody who has a prayer request? And we'd like to pray for you. Father, you see those hands. You know each person. Lord, if there's even one person here today that is doubtful of their relationship with you, they're not sure where they stand with you today, we pray that you'd help them now to open up their heart and mind to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, that they would acknowledge you, that they would confess their sins before you, that they would repent and yield their lives over to you. And if that's you, I just encourage you right now to do that. Just invite Jesus into your heart. Confess to him that you're a sinner. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and to come and take up residence in your heart, in your mind, inside of you, to fill you with his Holy Spirit. That's all you have to do. And Father, if anyone here this morning has done that right now, we ask you to pour out your Spirit upon them to encourage them, strengthen them, uplift them, guide them and direct them, and help them to move forward in a personal relationship with you, Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray for health and strength. Lord, deliverance from all illnesses, from the worst to the least. Lord, we ask you to impart faith to us to trust you for our health and well-being. Not only physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, Lord. We pray, and we know that you died on the cross, Jesus, to heal us at every level. Lord, we know in this life we will still struggle, but we know in the life to come we will be perfected. We will be just like Jesus, but in the meantime, we ask for your healing for body, soul, and spirit. We ask for your provision, Father, for resources in these troubled times. Give us wisdom and guidance. Help us to be the best possible stewards over those resources. And Lord, where we fall short, we ask that you would graciously, mercifully provide for us according to your riches and glory. Lord, where jobs are needed, we pray that you would provide jobs that will be sufficient to take care of us and our needs. Father, where there is no job possible or where it's insufficient, we look to you. You are our provider. Ultimately, you're the one who writes our paycheck. We thank you. We praise you. Help us to honor you, Lord, with our resources, and in turn that you would bless us and help us in these difficult financial times, Lord, and we would give you all the glory and all the praise. And finally, we pray for relationships, marriages, friendships, work relationships, Whatever aspect of our lives these relationships may lie in, that you would help us to be uh, peacemakers, 
the first ones to step forward for reconciliation, for healing, restoration. But Lord, we know the enemy comes to steal, to kill, to destroy, to divide us. Lord, but you've come that we might have life more abundantly. Please pour out that abundant life upon our family, our friends, our relations. Help us to, whenever possible, to do our part to bring healing and restoration. We thank you and praise you and ask you to receive now our final offering of praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.